0: It's November 16th, 1907. A crowd of around 30,000 people has assembled in the city of Guthrie, Oklahoma. The men are in their best suits. The women look like they're straight out of Little House on the Prairie. They're gathered at the steps of the town library for a wedding. The sound of celebration is in the air. Military bands play joyful tunes. Whistles ring out. Bursts of fireworks fill the sky. But this is not your typical marriage ceremony. It's a symbolic affair, a show. The bride is Miss Indian Territory. She represents the territory controlled by American Indians. The groom is Mr. Oklahoma Territory. He represents the territory controlled by the US government, by white people.
1: Mr. Oklahoma, do you take Miss Indian Territory to be your legal and lawful wedded wife? One in corporate and promise to cherish and defend her through all eternity? I do.
0: This was a fake wedding, but it really happened. This is a transcript from the statehood celebration, read by voice actors. Miss Indian Territory, do you take
1: this man to be your legal and lawfully wedded husband through all eternity? I do. Then I pronounce you man
0: and wife. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, for the first time, the union of these two territories into the newest state in the nation, Oklahoma. You may now kiss the 25 million-acre landmass, but not everyone was celebrating this union. Oklahoma's Black communities never even got an invite. From Gimlet Media, this is not past it a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. On November 16th, 1907, 115 years ago this week, Oklahoma became the nation's 46th state. White settlers and certain American Indians united behind the state's formation, But another group of residents was completely sidelined, Black Americans, some of whom were also tribal citizens. It's a legacy that some people who identify as Black and American Indian are still trying to shake. So happy Thanksgiving, America. I've got a story about your colonialist history you probably haven't heard after the break.
1: And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
0: Eli Grayson grew up knowing he was part Black and part American Indian. Muskogee Creek, to be exact. But he didn't know the full story, how these groups became intertwined.
3: I'm below the generation of the generation that didn't talk about anything. And my dad, other than, oh, you're creek. No, the old people really didn't talk about it.
0: And Eli didn't ask. He left his family history unexplored for decades. Things changed after he moved from Mississippi to Los Angeles. In the early 2000s, Eli heard about a meeting for Muskogee Creek tribal citizens, and on a whim, he went.
3: There was about 30 people when I walked in there. As soon as I say my name is Grayson, everybody go, oh yeah, you're Creek, because the Graysons well, is a prominent name in the Muskogee Creek Nation.
0: When Eli walked into this room of strangers, he felt moved, a connection to his ancestors. In Eli's words, It was almost like awakening a DNA memory. So he kept showing up to the meetings.
3: I think it was the third meeting someone said to me, are you enrolled in the tribe? What do you mean enrolled? And, well, you have to make application to be a citizen of the Creek Nation. You just can't claim your Creek as a nationality, not a club. And I was like, What? (laughs)
0: You'll hear Eli use Creek and Muscogee Creek interchangeably, though you may have heard the tribe referred to as simply the Muscogee Nation. In order to officially enroll, Eli needed to look deeper into his family tree. Tribal citizens who lived in Indian territory at the turn of the century were all listed on documents made by the U.S. government. These lists are called the Dawes Rolls. Eli scrolled through them searching for a connection, and found some of his ancestors. They were marked on the rolls as Muskogee Creek by blood, as in descended from indigenous people. But as he continued digging, he discovered other ancestors had a different label.
3: I started looking at my own family documents and seeing the word Creek Freedman, and then started to get mad.
0: Mad because the term freedman is used to describe Black people who had once been enslaved. And in this case, not by white people, enslaved by American Indians.
3: My father's grandmother, my great grandmother, who was born in 1858, she was born enslaved. Her father owned her, and he was a Creek Indian.
0: Eli found it hard to comprehend.
3: I went and checked out books about the Creeks and started just kind of going through stuff. And then that's when I went, oh, my God, my tribe enslaved people. You ever kind of hit your elbow and you go numb for a second in your elbow? My brain was like that. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't what I was taught. This is not in the movies. John Wayne didn't talk about this when he's talking about Indian tribes.
0: Eli learned that in the mid-1800s, citizens of the Creek, Seminole, Cherokee, Choctaw, and Chickasaw nations, AKA the Five Tribes, enslaved more than 7,000 Black people. Like in Southern plantations, it was a select, relatively wealthy group of American Indians. And when the Civil War broke out, some tribal citizens sided with the Confederacy. After the war ended in 1865, the tribes signed treaties with the Union. These treaties gave tribal citizenship to the formerly enslaved, now freedmen, as well as their descendants. And for a time, the Muscogee Creek Nation and the freedmen lived side by side in Indian territory. Anti-Black racism still existed, but as Eli learned, there was also room for strong alliances.
3: During the post-Reconstruction years, Freedmen did extremely well in the Creek Nation. Three tribal towns were actually established for them so they could have a political say-so in our tribal government.
0: Things were going relatively well for the Freedmen, but that changed, thanks to the push for Oklahoma statehood. Now, at this point, Oklahoma was not a state. It was Indian territory, The five tribes came here starting in the 1830s. The U.S. government forcibly removed them from the deep south during the Trail of Tears. So with few options, they built a home in this new territory. And for the next 50 years, it was all theirs. As the U.S. expanded, adding states to the west, this territory was a holdout. Then in 1889, the U.S. government reneged on their deal. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. They said white settlers could move in. It certainly set off alarm bells for one guy who'd lived here his whole life. His name was James Cootie Johnson. Johnson was Black, the son of a formerly enslaved couple. And as a freedman descendant, he was also a Muskogee Creek tribal citizen. Johnson was critical of statehood. He felt American Indians treated freedmen pretty well.
4: They have not felt that we were intruders or usurpers of a part of their domain, but rather the Creeks have recognized them as citizens.
0: This is a voice actor reading Johnson's testimony to Congress in 1906.
4: We lived here side by side, and there grew up a friendship among the people of the different nationalities, and this friendship continues to exist up to this day.
0: Johnson had been able to excel in Indian territory. He was a widely respected interpreter and lawyer, and he held political power within the tribes, serving as a representative in the Muscogee Creek government and as a secretary to the Seminole chief. Johnson suspected that statehood would reshape Indian territory and make it look like the rest of the U.S., segregated. Jim Crow laws were popping up all over the country, Johnson feared that the rights of the territory's Black residents would be erased. So how does a territory become a state? If you missed that Schoolhouse Rock episode, I'll tell you. it starts with a convention. Representatives from all over the territory getting together in a room, hashing it out. What rights will we grant? What rules will we live by? Johnson was skeptical but he didn't want to just watch it play out from the sidelines. He was chosen as a representative from his district. And on July 12, 1905, he and the rest of the delegates gathered in Oklahoma City's 3,000-seat Del Mar Gardens Theater.
1: All trains lead to Oklahoma City today for the great
4: patriotic meeting.
0: I like to think Johnson stood out, probably wearing his usual three-piece suit, hair cropped tight, a pocket watch chain pinned to his vest. He always dressed to impress because he needed to be taken seriously.
2: James Cootie Johnson is elected pretty specifically to represent Afro-Indigenous people.
0: Laura Arada is a professor of history at Oklahoma State University, and her work focuses on the U.S.
2: West. He's representing Creek, Freedman at that point. And even though he is duly elected and highly qualified, he is denied.
0: Johnson was forbidden from entering the convention.
1: Not a Negro was admitted to the convention. The slogan was, no Negroes need apply.
0: That's when another leader took center stage, a white guy an eccentric figure by the name of William Murray.
2: He becomes this sort of folkloric figure in Oklahoma history where he's wearing his overalls or his kind of scruffy-looking plaid flannel shirt, whatever it is.
0: Most people called him by his nickname, Alfalfa Bill. Picture a Pringles man, level mustache, but with a rugged twist.
2: A lot of people think of him as sort of this representative of kind of an average person. He never looks particularly polished.
0: But he was getting things done. And as he was drafting a constitution, Murray also made his racist views clear.
2: He says, quote, We We
0: should should adopt adopt a provision provision prohibiting prohibiting the
1: mixed marriages of the Negroes with other races in this state and provide separate schools. As a rule, Negroes are failures as lawyers, doctors, and in other professions. He must be taught in the line of his own sphere as porters, bootblacks, and barbers.
0: Oof. But this rhetoric worked. Alfalfa Bill attracted a lot of followers. And not just white people. American Indians, too. Murray was a prominent figure within the Chickasaw Nation. He helped build a coalition between white people and American Indians to the exclusion of freedmen.
1: In the Chickasaw Nation, we have the best class of Negroes in the new state because we have always denied them the privileges of going to our schools, voting in our elections, and sitting in our juries. In the Creek Nation, where the Negroes are given equality in voting and holding office, we find the worst class of Negroes.
0: Murray and his supporters began wearing buttons that read plainly, democracy equals white man and Indian against Negro and carpetbagger. By 1907, Murray's group had drafted a state constitution. Their document would codify Murray's anti-Black racism into law. Anyone of African descent would be considered colored. Everyone else, including non-Black American Indians, was white. But this wasn't law yet, the next step was to ratify this constitution by a vote of territory residents. As James Coody Johnson saw it, there was still a chance to block this thing. He built his own coalition.
4: There has probably been no event in the history of the Negroes of said territories when more conservative action and sober thought is demanded than now.
0: Johnson rallies Black people across the territories, and tries to stop the creation of Oklahoma in its tracks. That's after the break.
1: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
3: Ah, <sighs> spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. shop blinds.com now and save up to 45% up to 45% off at blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Welcome back to Oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the plains before the break we heard about how white settlers gained ground in Indian territory, and how their leader, Alfalfa Bill Murray, wanted to create the state of Oklahoma and limit the rights of the territory's Black residents. James Coody Johnson, the prominent lawyer and Muscogee Creek freedman, fought back. Here he is writing in 1907, in the pages of the Muscogee Cimeter, a Black-owned newspaper in Indian territory.
4: At this time, there are grave matters soon to arise, calling for the utmost care and the best deliberations of our leaders for the protection and welfare of the race of this state.
0: Johnson called for Black Americans to unite. He created a group called the Negro Protective League of Oklahoma. And in the spring of 1907, he asked them all to gather in Oklahoma City for yet another convention.
4: You are therefore urgently and earnestly requested in the selection of delegates to this convention to choose those representatives who have or whom you believe to have the best interest of the race at heart.
0: Johnson didn't know what the turnout would look like, but an impressive crowd showed up.
1: 300 Negroes, among them the most prominent and able men of the color race in Oklahoma, and representing 50,000 colored citizens, condemned the Constitution.
0: Despite the turnout, Johnson's efforts fell short. Murray's racist Constitution was ratified, with 71% of the vote. It was now on its way to the desk of the President of the United States, to officially be signed into the Union. Johnson thought there was still time to kill this thing. So in October 1907, Johnson and his allies got on a train and headed to Washington. President Teddy Roosevelt was in the White House at the time. He agreed to the meeting, but paid little attention to the Black men when they arrived.
1: They were ushered into the president's office and Mr. Roosevelt shook hands all around and then turned to other callers.
0: They made their plea to a distracted Roosevelt. Please, Mr. President, don't let Oklahoma into the union, not under this constitution. Protect basic human rights. But Roosevelt wasn't having it. He bluntly told them, please do not ask me not to sign it. So what happened next? Well, I'm going to guess you saw this one coming. On November 16, 1907, Teddy Roosevelt signed a presidential proclamation officially creating the state of Oklahoma. Johnson was diplomatic in the face of failure. He gave a speech to the Negro Protective League, thanking the Black men who fought alongside him. But Johnson's fears about statehood? Well, sadly, they all came true. The first thing Oklahoma state lawmakers passed was Senate Bill 1. It segregated the state's train cars. Then, in 1910, a constitutional amendment blocked Freedmen and other Black Oklahomans from voting.
3: The relationship between African Americans and the five tribes, it becomes kind of strange because—
0: This is Donald Fixico, professor of history at Arizona State University. He studies American Indians and the U.S. West.
3: The tribes are really trying to regain and hold on to whatever that they have, and they're losing that. And so they begin to look at African Americans as also as intruders, also as outsiders.
0: Donald has Muscogee, Seminole, Shawnee, and Sac and Fox ancestry. He says to keep in mind that American Indians were being heavily subjugated by the U.S. Their entire way of existence was under threat. Many were set on self-preservation.
3: They are against everything that is non-Native for good reason, and so their biggest fear is that they're losing control over their own future and losing control of their identity.
0: So freedmen once brought in as tribal citizens, were pushed away. Over the course of the 20th century, all five tribes ended citizenship for freedmen descendants. Black tribal citizens were kicked out unless they could prove they shared American Indian ancestry by blood using the Dawes rolls. And within the five tribes, well, debates are still raging over what makes a tribal citizen and who gets to decide.
4: Whatever else we may be, We are all Creek Indians by blood.
0: Here's Muskogee Nation Ambassador Jonadav Chowdhury, testifying before Congress earlier this year.
4: And as a nation that has endured policies intended to exterminate us because we are Creek Indians by blood, citizenship issues involving non-Creek persons engender deep, conflicting emotions.
0: And Chowdhury says this is a matter of self-preservation, of trying to preserve a people almost wiped out by genocide. It should be up to the tribes to decide who belongs. One tribe has reversed course. In response to a 2017 federal court ruling, the Cherokee Nation once again allowed for freedmen descendants to enroll. Eli Grayson, who we heard earlier in the show, took on this debate. He got more involved in his tribe in the early 2000s and started pushing for change.
3: One of the things I started doing as uh, president of the California Creek Association was seeking out people who claim to be Creek Freedmen and inviting them to our monthly meeting. I'm like, you're Creek. You should be there. You got history to be told. I want to hear. And I actually got in trouble for it. I mean, we had members in California, regulars at our monthly meetings, called the chief. Uh, the Creek Nation and said, Eli Grayson is inviting the N blank, you know what I'm talking about, the Ns to our meetings. And the chief called me and said, Hey, I heard you were inviting the Ns to your meetings out in California.
0: The chief repeated the racist complaints he had received in a can you believe what they're saying kind of way. But it made plain to Eli how some still felt about Black tribal citizens
3: why am I hearing the need for Black people who were enslaved by these Creeks to say they need the blood of the people that enslaved them to have rights in the tribe?
0: In Eli's opinion, all freedmen descendants should be able to enroll. He says blood metrics aren't the right way to define tribal citizenship. We began the story with a wedding two territories became one. But the glossy union of Miss Indian Territory and Mr. Oklahoma Territory hid a darker truth, a devastating loss, the end of the road for James Cootie Johnson's dreams, dreams of true equality in his lifetime. Dreams killed, in part, by that familiar mechanism of white supremacy, putting two marginalized groups against one another. But I like to think James Cootie Johnson's vision for the United States still holds hope. He saw room for marginalized groups to find common ground, to work together, to reach new heights. A vision the American project has yet to fully realize. A vision still worth pursuing all the same. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Ethan Oberman. Next week, we're bringing back our story about the ultimate Thanksgiving sabotage.
1: Before this day is over, every Indian brother, every sympathizer will go back to their homes with a different thought about what Thanksgiving Day means to the Native Americans.
0: The rest of our team is producer Olivia Briley. Our associate producers are Ramoy Phillip and Nick Rose. Laura Newcomb is our production assistant. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Annie Gilbertson. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor. Fact-checking by Ian Michael. John Butts voiced James Cootie Johnson. Ben Britton voiced William Murray, The Reverend, and Newspaper Clips. Laura Newcomb voiced Miss Indian Territory. And Ethan Oberman voiced Mr. Oklahoma Territory. Sound design and mixing by Emma Munger. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toco Liana by Coco Co, with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at CSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Sterling Cosper, and also to Gary Zeller. If you want to learn more about the Muskogee Creek Freedmen. You can read his book, African Creeks, which helped in researching this episode. And to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzika, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, Ariel Joseph, and Joshua Bianchi. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week.
3: Okay, well, send my granny a note saying I didn't cuss anybody out in the goddamn. I normally do.